Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 134 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail space and share their secrets with you. This time around, we catch up with Zach Spoiler and Xander Shepard, two of the co-founders of Artet, a brand that's leading the charge in the space where alcohol and cannabis intersect. Their eponymous flagship product is a zero ABV cannabis aperitif that pays tribute to the history of aromatized fortified before dinner drinks while also extending the conversation about what a cocktail can be. I know that's kind of a lot to throw at you, and believe me, we get right to it in this groundbreaking interview, but before we dive in, let's do it right and give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Moral Suasion. I learned about this drink when I attended a seminar at last year's Tales of the Cocktail, led by historians David Wondrich and Jeff Beachbum Berry, where they covered the evolution of the cocktail menu through the ages. Fantastic, fantastic seminar. We'll cover the history of the Moral Suasion in just a minute here, but first, let's talk about what's in it. To make this one, you'll need two ounces of peach brandy, which is not the same as peach schnapps. It's not fortified with sugar. It's literally a distillate or eau de vie made using peaches. One bar spoon each of maraschino liqueur, orange curacao, and honey syrup. One half ounce fresh lemon juice, one half bar spoon rose water, and finally, you're gonna want a little bit of cognac or armagnac on hand, about a half ounce for a float right at the end. Combine all these ingredients minus the float in a cocktail shaker. Shake it vigorously until it's chilled. Then strain it into a rocks glass over cracked ice. Execute said float over the back of a bar spoon. And then garnish with a lemon wheel, half an orange slice, and maybe a few seasonal berries if you've got them lying around. The Moral Suasion sits somewhere in between a cobbler, a julep, and that collection of fancy or improved cocktails that trailed after the old-fashioned. When this drink got popular in the United States, a gentleman named Joseph Dubonnet had just invented a quinine-infused aromatized wine aperitif called Dubonnet or Dubonnet, which played a major role in the development of the aperitif hour in European culture. And as I've mentioned, the aperitif is central to this episode's interview. But while Dubonnet was gaining popularity on the continent, back in the States, things weren't totally rosy in the 1840s and 50s. The powder keg of Southern secession was about to ignite. Abolitionists clashed with states' rights proponents, and temperance activists were up in arms about the taverns and saloons that served fancy, seductive beverages that turned their drinkers toward a life of vice. The Moral Suasion was invented by Boston saloon owner Peter Bent Brigham after temperance crusader Charles Jewett wrote a scathing hit piece on his establishment describing all the awful libations he was using to corrupt the populace. 
According to historian David Wondrich, the moral suasion, quote, jabbed back at the whole temperance movement, which at the time had not yet fixed on legal prohibition of drinking as its preferred tactic to sober the country up, but rather preferred to rely on moral suasion, basically arguing people out of their thirst. Brigham's moral suasion was conceived as a counterweight to their argument, a drink so seductive it would make even Dr. Jewett reconsider his policy. End quote. Today we find ourselves journeying through a similarly fraught moral landscape, especially when you utter the word cannabis in a public space. But maybe, just maybe, a cannabis aperitif will help us find our way home again. In this interview with Zach Spoler and Xander Shepard of Artet, we discuss how these two New York natives took the leap into the world of entrepreneurship to pursue a dream that merged their passions for art, hospitality, and cannabis. What an aperitif is, and how Artet stays true to the history of the drink, but also kind of extends that conversation about where cannabis fits into the cocktail space. Where the name Artet and the abstract artwork on the bottle come from. We also do a quick contemporary State of the Union regarding cannabis laws and regulations in different parts of the U.S. here at the beginning of 2020. We sample Artet, of course, giving you in-depth tasting notes and cocktail ideas. And along the way, we dig into the problem with pebble ice, what to drink on Richard Branson's private island, and why it's okay to eat your cocktail garnishes sometimes. Please enjoy this dank interview with Zach and Xander, co-creators of Artet Cannabis Aperitif. Zach and Xander, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Can you just introduce yourself for our listeners? Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you came to be in the cannabis aperitif game, which is something I think we're going to have to define a little mm -hmm. bit as we go along here. Sure. I can start. Um, so I'm Xander. Um, I am the older cousin of Zach to my left. Um, my uh, background is one that kind of comes from, I think I said, I like to define it as being rooted in hospitality. Um, Growing up and through college, I spent a lot of time in the music industry, uh, focusing on developing, um, you know, live productions and things of that nature. And then um, when I graduated, I spent five years working in creative consulting, really thinking about consumer insights, product development, innovation, understanding how you can um, help brands and companies create products that should actually exist in the world and not just another thing to go on your shelf or something that, you know, needs a really fancy, shiny commercial to convince you to buy it. Um, and that was a really interesting period of time for me, just really um, traveling the country and, and times of the world, sitting face to face in people's apartments and homes, asking them about their lives, what they were interested in, what made them make their buying patterns, what they were nervous about. And it's amazing when people open up to you in those capacities, you can learn a tremendous amount, uh, more than you can ever, you know, just reading a textbook or going online. And um, that five-year experience was one that was, uh, I think, incredibly um a foundational in understanding and having sort of the confidence to be able to jump off a, you know, a cliff and say, how do, you know, I work with uh, my cousin and, you know, our other partner, who's also my cousin, Max, uh, in creating something new to the world. And again, back to that point about something that we think somebody actually wants and needs rather than convincing them, you know, it's something that uh, they should have when they really don't. Um, so yeah, uh, those five years, um, like I said, uh, very important. And before that, that sort of hospitality background, I think all played a very big role in mm. helping 
um, me wrap my head around what it meant to create a cannabis product that I would really want to enjoy myself. And namely, to your point, a cannabis aperitif. Sure. Yeah. Zach. Yeah, yeah I'm Zach. Um, come from the same family in New York. Um, our moms are actually sisters. Um, so we kind of have that, uh, very, we come from a very matriarchal family, very, uh, female run. Um, and we grew up together. Our grandma actually, um, had a travel agency. So we kind of grew up around this hospitality world mm-hmm. that I mentioned. Um, prior to our TED, I was kind of, I always knew I was into creative entrepreneurship. Um, and, uh, I studied communication and business at school and I was always fascinated with how human behavior moves over time and how um, people kind of follow each other, um, how trends start. Um, And so I kind of got my first couple jobs in marketing, um, second job in venture capital. um, And when I launched Artet, I was working at um, a place in New York called Makeable that did uh, innovation consulting, pretty much helping big corporate companies come up with uh, more nimble ideas. Hmm. It's also uh, worth mentioning that we both went to the same college. So yeah, where was uh, that? Uh, Northwestern. Uh, but uh, we've we've been accustomed to to doing the same things for for a while. Yeah, um, I like how you're both. It's interesting because you're you're both kind of citing that hospitality space. You're both citing ideas and how they how they spread. And you're also talking about kind of like people, like the, the intersection mm-hmm. of ideas and people. Sometimes we think I think um, that ideas kind of are in a vacuum in the way that, you know, you know, Plato or some of those philosophers Mm -hmm. might say, you know, the world of forms. Uh, Well, that's kind of about the farthest thing from the hospitality industry when you walk in a door and somebody's supposed to give you a glass of water and ask you what you want to eat. So um, I I like that. Uh, And I also like, uh, Xander, that the the distinction that you drew when bringing up the idea of like, well, I want to design a product that people actually want, that people Mm -hmm. actually need, that solves a problem. Um, And I I remember listening to a a podcast. It was probably like the the Reid Hoffman podcasts Mm -hmm. um, that that a lot of people listen to. And and there was this distinction made between vitamins and medicine. Okay. Right. And the medicine was stuff that actually solved problems that people really wanted. But cannabis seems to be, and the aperitif seems to be a little bit more in the vitamin space, man. Like, like definitely, but it also comes from a medicinal yeah. healing background. So there's, there's a lot of gray area in this space. And I know that for my listeners, um, I'm based in D.C. Mm-hmm. And D.C. is in a very gray space in the cannabis 100%. Um, legalization situation because we have decriminalized and we have allowed for home grow, home use. Yeah. We've allowed for gifting. So there you are, can, are you actually- sell a t-shirt or, or a box of pizza. Right. And gift right. it alongside it. Expensive bottles of juice. Uh-huh. Whatever you want to yeah, sell, yeah, you can exactly. sell it for 80 bucks and yeah. and then give a, you know, yeah. be a quarter, quarter ounce of, mm-hmm. of weed with it. Um, so- Uh, I'm very excited to get into this with you. We have a beautiful bottle sitting here and and hopefully we'll get to to do a little sample later on. But uh, I think my first question is, um, it's about the bottle and it's about the name and Mm -hmm. the the graphics on the bottle. Where did Artec come from? And can you tell us the story of of your grandmother and how that design kind of played into the bottle? Um, So I think before we even can get to the name and get to the artwork, I think it's also important to even understand what, again, when we said, you know, going back to that point about making products that, that should exist, I think it's important to go back to even what happened before that, right? Before we said, let's make a cannabis aperitif, we had a much more kind of um, 
you know, uh, not an intellectual, but sort of esoteric conversation of like, what does a cannabis drink look like? And I think, you know, to Zach's credit, he was thinking a lot about that back in 2015 when we first started to kick this idea around or early 2016. Um, you know, and that was a lot of just about the high level idea of looking at, you know, me and my peers and how we view cannabis. Um, you know, me and my cousin, how we enjoyed cannabis together. Um, but it was still viewed in a certain way on the East coast, uh, specifically. Um, and just thinking about, all the cultural shifts, the, the you know, legal shifts, and thinking about if we could create um, something that was delicious, um, you know, worked as advertised every time, um, beautiful as well. With cannabis, we could kind of start to um, allow cannabis to exist in places where, you know, a joint couldn't exist and kind of allow cannabis to, uh, the culture to continue to evolve. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, so, so building on that, I think, you know, it's, um, and then like why the aperitif right? yeah so you know when when back i think and back to zach's point when he says works it ad, as i advertised every time I th- that's sort of code for saying like not that edible you maybe had in college that, that like, went you know sent you off the rails and swore you off it forever i think that was something that when we were getting started we really felt like was lacking in the space a little bit and it mm-hmm. for it's worth mentioning that all of the products now in the space, you know, have really come a long way from the science and from the compliance that's required for sensible dosing and things of that nature. But again, this is what we wanted to solve at the time before we could make it elegant, before we could say, let's be a premium cannabis product. We were like, this thing has to taste good. First drop to last drop has to be the same. You know, it's not like if you bought a six pack of beer and the first beer was great. And then the second one was four times stronger by accident. You're like, well, oops, you know, (laughs) these were real things that we (laughs) felt like we needed to solve. Once we felt like we had a grasp on that, um, we started to think about, so how do we talk about this? How do we present it? Why should it exist in the world? You know, obviously a name is a very important part of all of that. And we were very inspired by kind of French and Italian style liqueurs and drinking culture from Europe um, and really thinking about some of the parallels that could exist in contextualizing cannabis in this new capacity with how it could sort of draw inspiration um, and really try to continue that conversation in America with a different substance. So the name uh, is actually one that to a certain extent is supposed to evoke a sense of place and and kind of elegance and you know something that makes you feel comfortable but also just as deliberately be rooted in cannabis so it is actually the t in thc spelled backwards um tetra so you know it's a fun little easter egg but at the same time it's uh it's just one of those little things where you sit around enough times you put enough names on a wall and then all of a sudden you have a moment and i remember calling uh, Zach and his brother Max, who still live together, they were living together in an apartment in Chinatown as roommates. And um, I just called them on the phone. I was just like, Artet, Artet, Artet. And they were like, You good? I was like, Artet. I just kept saying it over and over again. And then, like, we all started I to say it and hear like, it. Yes. You know, and like, you know, people always talk about it. And back in the brand days, we always talk about like bar calls and this and that. And be like, You know, what would it sound like if somebody said, Can I get an Artet on the rocks or something? I was like, It just sounded so, so exciting. Um, that's what that part was. And then, to finish off that question and your point about the artwork itself, mm-hmm. um, we wanted something kind of abstract and illustrative of hopefully this this idea of elegance and cannabis coming together and this sort of the way it should make you feel, the way it should sort of be social. Um, it's impressionistic we- in a time when people are very much trying to reformulate their impression of what cannabis is. 100%. 100%. And uh, quite 
quite literally, uh, we went to our grandmother's home. Our grandmother, other than being an entrepreneur, is an incredibly uh, talented uh, painter, studied at the Sorbonne in the 50s, like, you know, really just sort of uh, a renaissance woman in a way. Um, and we just took uh, photos of all of the artwork in our home that is her own artwork. Um, and the paintings are fantastic. I regularly look at them on my phone from when we took those photos. And uh, we always went back to our creative designer and was like, look, take this is what we haven't been able to articulate to you. Mm -hmm. These colors, these shapes, these patterns um, help us distill that into, you know, our own piece of artwork, something that can also, you know, commemorate a very significant person in our family and also continue to tell that sort of family business story. Grandmother, our grandmother ran a family business. We now are sort of a new generation of a family business. So there were all these fun little things for us personally that we could sort of always look to that bottle and be like, this is the story behind it. But also to your point, quite literally, uh, was a way to reset people's expectations of what cannabis could look like and how you present it. And namely, something that was ideally uh, uh, beautiful enough that you would want to display on your bar card and in your home. And you know, back to, you know, specifically the aperitif, when you think about a pre-dinner drink that's meant to open up your appetite and get you ready for a meal, we had this aha moment and we said, wait, you know, cannabis is mm -hmm. the perfect aperitif. Uh, you know, people have been using it as an aperitif for as long as anyone knows. Um, if you can kind of recontextualize the munchies from this, you know, juvenile thing, it can actually be elevated uh, and be dosed the right way and, you know, in the right format, it could actually serve as the perfect aperitif. And the more we went down this rabbit hole, we got obsessed with this idea. And, you know, we looked at the history, like you mentioned, how there's actually a medicinal history to the aperitif, mm -hmm. how, you know, J Joseph uh, Dubonnet in the mm -hmm. 1800s added uh, quinine to his, you know, to his drink to, as a means of fighting malaria. And so that just kind of continued our momentum of, wait, if we can take the legacy of this aperitif and, and continue it in, in a way that pays respect to where it came from, um, as a way to kind of deliver a somewhat medicinal, uh, you know, beverage, um, you know, that's what, that's why we kind of stuck with the cannabis aperitif. Right. It's a beautiful bottle. It's a uh, dark blue. It's matte, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a really smart choice. Although I'm assuming from a cost of goods point, uh, an expensive one, yeah. at least at the moment. But it's 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 funny because story is a good one. Yeah. It's funny, and this goes back to I think you know every industry has its own hurdles, um, compliance regulations. You know, and I know the alcohol industry is riddled with them, and there happen to be some unique ones in in our industry and one of them is that when it comes to packaging specifically for edible products and drinkable products uh the packaging has to be opaque and so this law was written to give some context this law was written with gummies in mind you know you think want your kid seeing the gummy bears and thinking they're normal gummy bears it was probably a little less uh concerned with uh a, a cannabis aperitif if you will um but we obviously this being the first uh, venture of our own that was like a real significant venture, um, didn't necessarily think to map out all of uh, the the guardrails before we just started making decisions that we fell in love with. And the bottle itself was a bottle that we were uh, completely in love with in terms of the way it helped us sort of uh, contextualize our tet, both in this 1920s kind of art deco mm -hmm. uh, world that we're really inspired by, um, but also one that felt a little bit modern uh, and future forward, yeah. um, kind of like that retro future idea. 
and most well, the um, 20s again baby exactly yeah. and you know we get this model it's amazing we start thinking about how we're going to present it and then one of us looks start going through the regulations and we're like uh yeah we can't use this bottle it can't be transparent and we mm -hmm. have to go back and we have to ask them hey can you code it and this was a whole thing and we were Oof. just like really you know just uh, do we do it do we not and what we decided was it was it was just too good to, to to leave behind and it is a little bit one of our it is certainly a little heavy on our cost of goods but you know we're able to make up for it in in ways that we think honor again the overall expression and experience of this product that people want to resonate with and um it's actually ended up becoming one of the most significant tells or ways to identify our products so yep. You know, I think sometimes um, uh, when you're given these restrictions, you can actually become a little bit more creative mm -hmm. um, and overcome them in ways that maybe you would be a little lazier in thinking through without it. Um, so it actually became a really exciting design challenge for us, where in the end, I think I look at that bottle now and I can't imagine it in the original form that was transparent. But it's a bit of a, a tangent in terms of, you know, no, it's matte bottle. It's great. It's a matte bottle. It's it's beautiful. Um and I, I mean, it really does stand out in that respect. And, and I mean, you guys you, coming from the worlds that you come from, you guys know that cost of goods issues are just scale issues. Mm -hmm. They go away mm -hmm. at some point. So, you know, it's one of those things that an investor is not going to blink an eyelash at. That's the thing they actually come in to solve. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, man, I'm just so excited about this because there were so many opportunities for you to fuck it up. <laughs> And yeah. there still are. I'm sure totally. there's, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty yeah. of them. <laughs> so we don't need to get into that. But just my initial impression, A, both of you are problematically articulate. Yeah. This is, <laughs> it's hard to sit here and listen to. Yeah. Normally this is a little bit, you know, just like, you know, a little bit more umming and aahing, but uh, like you've clearly <laughs> thought about this so carefully and you're so explicit about like every little thing with it that it gives me so much confidence because when some when i heard the phrase cannabis mm -hmm. aperitif my eyes rolled so far back yeah. like i rolled my eyes so hard at that and then the first thing i did was go to your website and i was like i bet these guys don't even know what an aperitif is first thing on your website we are honoring the aperitif whatever the, uh -huh. the copy that yeah. you have up there it is a very specific gesture to a we know what an aperitif is b we're not bullshitting you and we're actually serious about this playing the role of an aperitif and at that point i was pretty much most of the way sold because i don't i, I don't think i've come across a concept out there that that's like it. Um, would you guys care to to comment and give my listeners, mm -hmm. many of whom are not living in jurisdictions where cannabis is, you know, we can, maybe we can talk about the differences between CBD and THC. Yeah, um, maybe that can be a segue into what's mm -hmm. what's actually in our tet. But could you just give us a bit of a state of the union on where cannabis stands right now? Yeah. And we're recording this uh, in very early February of 2020. Um, yeah. And I actually just one last thing to, to add on what you were talking about. For us, provenance was a very contentious part of us defining and figuring out how we were going to present this brand because here we are launching a product in California as native New Yorkers inspired by France and Italy mm -hmm. and to your point to sort of play back what you said there are a lot of ways to fuck that up mm -hmm. very easily um, and it was something and it is something that weighs on us regularly because of the fact that um, at the end of the day, what we didn't want to create 
was just a framework to sell bullshit. We really wanted to figure out a way to tie uh, a brand story to the product story. And, you know, that's an evolving and changing thing for us regularly. And we always go back to the drawing board and thinking about ways we can talk about it. Like, you know, even today we sometimes talk like, should we still call it an aperitif or is there a different way to, pre- to, to present the notion of what we're still talking about? Because again, it's about when we talk about like the, the fundamentals of what it is, when we say we're honoring the aperitif culture, we're talking about, you know, moments where people get together, moments of elevated relaxation of, um, you know, I sometimes like the phrase um, more like Epicurean, you know, delights, right? Yeah. All of those, whether you say it's an aperitif or not, it, it's besides the point. So I think, you know, just to make that again, it, for us, we were we wanted to create a product that we were excited to drink, that we were excited to sort of present and showcase in the world and put our names behind. Um, and it became sort of the uh, the easiest way for us to introduce something wholly new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's sort of just to, to build on your point there, because it is right. something that we think through a lot, but, uh, to, to, to talk about the actual, um, state of, 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 of cannabis. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a sort of like a snowball, if you will. Um, obviously when we got started, we got started before in, in, in the inception phase. I mean, I don't it even, it wasn't think- even recreationally legal here in uh, California. Right. Um, and, you know, to then see where it's evolved and moved since then, um, you know, is both encouraging and frustrating. And the stat is like three out of five people live now in a state uh, where cannabis is legal. Oh, that's interesting because New York, California. New York, California. Exactly. We got a lot of the population. Mm-hmm. Is New York, what's New York's situation? No, it's, uh, it's medicinal. It's medicinal I mean, uh, Governor Cuomo has said that they want to pass it through the budget. And right. I believe that would potentially be as soon as March. So, okay. And they basically got it to the one yard line last year. And I think it was part of the whole routine of you got to do this. You got to understand what the real um, concerns are, what the real questions are, how to make sure that this is going to be an equitable uh, process where um, everybody can participate in in this industry. And namely, you know, uh, if not more importantly, people who have been uh, disproportionately wronged by it, namely uh, uh, communities of color and, um, you know, in New York in particular, obviously around the country as well. Um, and these are a lot of the things that people focus on. And I think where right now, a lot of the conversation still is needing to be had and can you t- continue to be sort of uh, applied. But, you know, the from a, from a sort of market and kind of uh, opportunity for us to continue to bring our tent into the world, um, there are a handful of of really compelling states and cities and markets in the Midwest, in the uh, Southwest, in uh, the West Coast, in addition to California, in on the East Coast, that for us are places we would love to be able to bring our tent. It's a little complicated. Illinois, yeah, Vegas. Massachusetts. Uh, you know, it, yep. it it gets a little complicated in this certain landscape in terms of how you can. Um, create and bring the product online into these by online I just mean like you know into the market right um, cannabis products can't cross state lines because it's controlled by the, the state so and so it needs to be sold in the same state that it's and, produced yeah and that obviously creates a lot of uh, operational and quality control nightmares oh, so yeah that's it's un- basically unfeasible yeah so you know there there are ways to do it and we're taking our time and making sure that we're not um you know, r- rushing or racing to scale to the detriment of like the long-term stability of our brand and our business. Right. Um, this is not sort of a, for lack of a better term, like get rich quick scheme where we're just like, let's just pump this and do it and whatever. It's something that, again, we think is uh, f- 
continuing the kind of uh, conversation around what mixology can be and what ingredients have a right to sit in that conversation. And for us, you know, we're able to achieve and continue to enhance that story uh, in California for now. And that's our focus. But there are a lot of really exciting states that we look at um, for us to continue to, to, to expose that um, in, like, in the right cadence. Yeah. And I know you also, also mentioned the CBD THC kind of thing. Yeah. Um, interestingly, some takes are that it could actually be safer to be in the THC side of things because it's uh, regulated by the state versus the CBD side of things are still are like federally regulated, um, which opens it up to more scrutiny with FDA concerns and uh, CBD. In terms of their just lack of really generally recognized ru- safe and like ru- they, they just haven't really made many rulings on it yet. So it's a little bit more of a free for all. And, you know, that's not to say that it's one way or the other. I think it's just it, if anything, it just shows that the 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 best the best thing that we can do for for our end consumers and that anybody can do is just to sort of um, be prudent about what they're consuming and what they're what they're what they're uh, buying. And for us, you know, all of the manner in which we've been able to do it is in a very sort of safe and regulated capacity. And all of these other states are doing the same. But again, you know, even when we got started, a lot of people would look at us and be like, guys, we're still figuring out laws and protections for the farmers. And you're talking about a, a what? A cannabis, like, we don't know, how, you know, there all these, you know, we talked to lawyers, we talked to this, all this sort of general support that we, we would want uh, just to build a sound business. They're just like, I can't even wrap my head around that. Obviously, we didn't give up and sort of the market is caught up, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, you can read all of these reports and things about three and five people and the perception and this and that, but there's still a long way to go in terms of building the actual uh, infrastructure to make for, you know, a more viable and sensible market. It is Um, so early for the infrastructure of it. It's exciting. I mean, I I think sometimes about when I go on, uh, you know, you go on distillery tours or you go on um, uh, brewery tours and you hear some of the stories they would tell about the early days of their, of their breweries and some of the crazy things they would do. And, Oh, we were running barrels across the street and this and that. And it was, you know, it's, 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 I think there's a, there is a romance to it as well. And um, not everybody's necessarily cut out for it, but if you can find those challenges to be for lack of a better term, romantic, then it's probably the right space for you to be in. And I'm one of those people who just loves that sort of um, those those anecdotes and those stories and it's it's kind of a pinch yourself moment to be sort of in a position to have those own things of myself yeah well it's they're almost always romantic in hindsight exactly. the challenge is finding the yes, romantic exactly. in the moment 100 <laughs> when you you pull up the yeah. bank account uh, you've uh, got uh, a yeah. negative balance zach is probably looking like at me that. right now being like dude you don't find this stuff romantic <laughs> <laughs> you're the one pulling your hair out but yeah no you're absolutely right yeah um and just to just to kind of um, zoom out just a little bit for listeners, because uh, I'm a little bit more familiar with this than than some people. Mm-hmm. Um, what you were saying about the difference between the kind of like the the chiasmus of THC, CBD, and then federal versus state, 
normally when we think of cannabis, we think of like the holy grail for this being, well, especially for you guys, it would be for it to be federally decriminalized and then legalized and then taxed and regulated, et cetera, et cetera, by the federal government. We look, we put that as the shining city on the hill for cannabis, right? Uh, but what you're actually saying, Zach, is that with um, CBD, that's already been kind of taken care of at the federal level. And, and so it, it receives federal oversight, but it, correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is it's almost better to use THC, which is what you have in your product, because the states do a better, more prudent job of regulating the THC and the federal organizations that regulate or would be kind of called upon to rule on CBD issues just really haven't had an occasion to do that. Yeah. So it's still kind of uncharted it's waters. Exactly like this exactly what you're saying there. The C B D side of things, it's still great. It's still gray. Mm -hmm. Uh versus it's very gray. So you know they if they decide, you know, sure you can defend yourself a little bit by not making claims like, oh, this C B D will do this for you. Um, but it's still very gray with the CBD ruling and it's under federal you know, scrutiny because they're going through traditional pipelines versus mm -hmm. uh, the THC. It's all going through state uh, controlled pipelines. It's a little bit more fast track uh, because of the attention it, it's receiving. But right? it's also just clear on, more clear on what you can and can't do and where you can and can't consume things. Right. So, yeah. I mean, like anecdotally, the Department of Health in New York City took all infused CBD out of cafes and pastries and things. And their answer was until the FDA makes a clear ruling on what is and isn't safe with this, we're just going to say no. But then, you know, some uh, corner stores and bodegas sell foods and beverages that have, so, you know, and then they call it hemp and CBD. And, it's, and none of this is to say that those products aren't good or not good. They're, in fact, there's some amazing products that um, are CBD exclusive. Yeah, I think right. it's just, you know, we, in, in this kind of little tangent that we're in, is mostly making the point that um, it's, again, I think with all of this, it, just to go back to that point of that, like, just as long as everybody is sort of eyes wide open on what they're consuming, on how they're consuming, on consuming things that are thoughtfully dosed, et cetera, um, that's the best way to sort of navigate all of this in a state that is a state that allows for THC, whether it be medicinal, whether it be recreational like California, or in a state where none of them are permitted and it's actually just CBD, understanding what you're consuming and why you're consuming it and sort of why the purpose for it to exist. You know, I Where it's coming from yeah. to the best of your ability. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. you know. And that's and that's and I think the the way to sum up this sort of winding answer is that because it is such a fractured uh, um, sort of political uh, situation with regards to, to cannabis, um, this answer doesn't really have a clearly answer defined answer. It's it is this kind of rambling, just you know, story of where it was, where it is, where it needs to be. Um, and you, the the hope is that you know we get to a point soon enough where it is just sort of in a more stable capacity where everybody has a firm understanding of you know basic regulations on what is and isn't you know right. useful. Well, I think even if it is kind of a winding road and it's kind of dark and hazy, it does help to have somebody who's out there at the front of the chain with the headlights on. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only way it ever gets at you, ever get out of the woods in that situation. So it's just fascinating. You know, it does. It kind of feels like we're here in the trenches. Yeah. You know, it feels like we're very much in it and we're like trying to solve all the world's problems. But um, I think um, what we'll do next is we'll we'll take a quick reset mm -hmm. and um, we'll get back to the uh, 
the real kind of sensory mm-hmm. aspect of it because I feel like so many problems are solved over just a good drink. 100%. So um, I'm here with Xander and Zach uh, from Artec Cannabis Aperitif. We'll be right back after a quick reset. And we are back with Zach and Xander from Artec Cannabis Aperitif. And uh, guys, I would love for you to take us through a tasting and maybe talk about the other design element of your bottle here, which is the kind of cap measure, pourer, um, quasi jigger type situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a, uh, in a word. Yes. And that's, uh, you, you can start uh, pouring in. Basically, um, the, as I said earlier, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's regulations, there's compliance, there's sort of restrictions around certain things for packaging. And there's this funny one where the packaging has to be opaque, but the serving has to be readily identifiable. So that makes complete sense when you think about chocolate bar right you can take that chocolate bar and say the whole chocolate bar has 100 milligrams right mm-hmm. which is the the maximum one single product can have in california um, a single product or a single serving a single, single product and then a single serving the maximum is 10 milligrams right so you could imagine okay. picture a hershey chocolate bar or sorts each little brick you'd be like that's 10 milligrams or you could double that at me like each brick is actually five and then there's you know, or there's if 20 it's, or if it's gummy bears you can say each gummy bear is however yeah milligrams. you know um but for us it's 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 liquid so it's hard you, you know we can say it's a, it's a volume but you you have to be able to identify that and at the time when we got started there was no wiggle room for any lack of opacity on the product now they say you can have a little slit along the side and you can see where you pour oh that's not yeah um, like the measuring but when but when we got started, you know, we were like, we have to have a cap of sorts. Um, and it certainly wasn't going to be this bottle. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, a Motrin plastic cap. So we decided to lean a little further into the notion of, you know, mixology, as you kind of mentioned, sort of like a pseudo jigger um, and made a, you know, equivalent blue stainless steel uh, shot glass, which is one serving. So it's 50 milliliters. That 50 milliliters is equivalent to one single serving of Artet, which has two and a half milligrams of THC. Um, yeah, so important up right here, one shot per, per, uh, per glass. So this shot, as Xander just mentioned, would have two and a half megs of THC. Beautiful. A nice, simple, uh, and we went, you know, we went back and forth so many times with the math and everything of saying how much liquid is the right amount of liquid. Right. Relative to the dose. To the dose. And what drove us crazy and Zach and I, uh, yeah, Max didn't join us on that, right? When we went to Colorado. Yeah, it was just the two of us. So when we went and we did a, um, a bit of like a, you know, uh, a co- like a competitive audit back in like 2015. And one of the things that kind of drove us crazy, and we, we, we hit it with a little lemon just to, you know, yeah. to brighten it up a bit. It's easy enough um, to identify. We'll exactly. be able to get some good flavor notes yeah. out of there, I'm sure. Um, so um, anyway, when we went, there were these bottles and, you know, a serving size was poured into a spoon and drink that spoon. And then that spoon had enough to sort of, you know, send you to the moon. And it just didn't make sense at that point. It was sort of like, well, why is this? Why is this a drink at this point? Like it doesn't feel like it hits on the basics of a drink, which should be something that you can enjoy, that you can savor, that you can hopefully, you know, socialize, that you can smell. Right. Yeah. You can't really smell a spoon. Nobody does that. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, it's funny. Um, We make cocktail bitters. And one of the first things it's just um, talking about spoons. One of the first things we um, realized was, was how to like get people to taste it. Um, cause mm-hmm. whenever we brought it to bartenders for testing, they'd take the bottle, they'd dump a bunch of dashes on their hand. They'd rub their hands together, stick their hands on their face like this, mm-hmm. and they'd just kind of sniff it in. 
And so when we went to like events and started doing samples, uh, people would be like, oh, can I try? And we're like, yeah, give us your hand. And they're like, how about no? (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, it's funny the design um, considerations you run into even when you're in the midst of designing, Mm -hmm. even when you think you've got like a pretty well-rounded product formulation, you know what space it's gonna fill. Like there are always those little challenges of like, wow, okay, well, so if, the dose or the effective, like the active ingredient is something that's going to be present in very small amounts Mm -hmm. with high potency relative to the amounts, then really the liquid is the delivery vehicle. So how do we like even think about the relationship between the effective ingredient and the delivery vehicle? That's crazy. Most people don't have to think about that in their daily yeah, lives. No, no, they don't. Yeah. So, um, but we've got this in the glass now. So tell us what, I mean, I'll give you my initial impressions. Sure. You can tell me if I'm a broken human being. Um, I mean, you get immediately, you get an aroma that is um, reminiscent of cannabis, but not the kind you walk by on the street, if that makes sense. It's not not the kind you, you walk by and you're like, oh man, I feel bad. Like that's that's not very good. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I wish they were smoking better stuff right now. Um, I think the lemon's a super smart pairing with it. Thank you. Um, off the bat, you know, it brings me like the nose with just a little bit of lemon reminds me of like a Sue's type mm-hmm. situation. Sure. Um, some of those lighter Northern Italian mm-hmm. aperitifs. Uh, it's got, I, I get like a little cardamom. Um, <laughs> the, no, the nose works. It, it's, it's, it is. Most people don't get on the cardamom. The cart. Well, it's funny too because most people haven't had the opportunity to stick their face into a bag yeah. of decorticated cardamom. Yeah. But once you do that, you're yeah. like, "Wow, that smells like ammonia." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I was walking down your streets today, <laughs> and it has been very windy here, and yeah. so I got to pick up a bunch of eucalyptus mm-hmm. and stick that in my face yep. just off the sidewalk, and I was like, "Dang, this smells just like galangal root." Exactly. Which is like it's such like, a weird like. But you know, know, when you when you have the when you when you can make those reference points, you. Yeah, they kind of stick with you. Yeah, so it's and it does have like kind of a, it's got like definite high notes of juniper and mm-hmm. pine. And it's funny when you think of juniper and pine, I think of that as a mid note because mm-hmm. and, and and the distinction here between the mid note and the high note would be like the high note would be something that has a little bit of like essential oil or acidity. So the lemon and the cardamom mm-hmm. to me are high notes in this, but the, the junipery piney aspect of me come in more as a mid note because they're a little bit more restrained, but you have to restrain them because they're definitely more powerful yeah. fragrances and and flavors. So I think it's a, I think just having not even taken a sip of this, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Love yeah. it. And you know, and we'll wait. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you nailed it. You nailed a lot of that there. I'm all. We'll wait for the reaction. That's, that's, I mean, I'm not on camera right now, but wow. Um, bitterness too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is it quinine gen- or yeah. it's so gen- gen- and, gen- and gen- yeah. Oh, so it's actual gentian. Yeah. And, and we, I think that's the Sue's, the Sue's totally. kind of. And, and look, you know, I think for us. You're right about also the juniper kind of the note in there, mm-hmm. a little bit less than the, the initial uh, cardamom. Note. Yeah. yeah. The. So the challenge for us, right, in terms of um, creating something that we felt like could fit in the world of aperitifs, of, of, you know, sort of have some of those flavors, even like, you know, digestifs and amaros and things, was that we lack 
one central throughput in all kind of alcohol-based products, which is alcohol, ethanol, right? right? Um, even in the most saccharine, sweet, like, you know, honey whiskey or whatever, sure. there's still that uh, um, yeah, ethanol that gives you that bite, which is a little mm -hmm. bit of a subconscious thing that lets you know to like drink this a little slower. Oh, and there's, right? there's ginger, right? Yeah, there's ginger. Okay, I was going to say yeah. like, yeah, there's... Yeah. The <laughs> and there's some ginger in there for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, early, early iterations of this, we were going back and forth and trying to figure stuff out. I mean, to go all the way back actually on our, on our sort of flavor R&D process. We were making uh, drinking vinegars, shrubs, back, nice. back to just get familiar with mm -hmm. like how we could create, you know, the flavor profile that would be some fun bitter, ones, a little bit funky, a little bit yeah. floral. Some we've definitely left in the kitchen and we're like, yep. that can just stay here as a weird experiment. Yep. Um, but really trying to figure out how we could convey that sense of like, drink it and savor it slowly mm -hmm. um, without having that bite of ethanol. Because if we weren't careful, what we really didn't want to have happen was that we basically just created a juice mm -hmm. that we were trying to tell this really um, specific story. And then we just couldn't deliver it with the actual product itself. So, right. um, you know, getting that uh, 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 gentian in there and the juniper, those were actually late additions. Um, but things that we started to add in at, towards the end were like, this is what we were kind of lacking or missing and trying to get that dryness and that bite. Mm -hmm. um, There's you know, also a little bit, to, to Zender's point, a little bit of Jamaica pepper at the end, allspice, which gives it that like yeah. kind of sting that sits on your tongue after you finish sipping it. Right. You know, it tells you to slow down, but it also kind of makes me want another sip. It mm -hmm. really it does. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like the way, you know, the um, flavor researchers refer to that sensation as chemisthesis. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it, it is exactly that. It's slow down, but also, you know, after you're, you have had it sitting there for 30 seconds, you want to pick up the glass again. Yeah. Um, and there is something to that. There's something to that slow down, but also like have some more yeah. that is that to me typifies the aperitif hour because mm -hmm. you're getting ready for the meal. You're getting ready for the evening meal. You're, you're finding a way to close the day, yeah. right? To me, that's the slow down, yeah. right? But the, but now have some more is kind of like, yeah, you're transitioning. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really smart. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the flavor of the, like, it, it, so is tea, yeah, is, is, so you've got cannabis in here, specifically the active ingredient, what sure. we might call is THC, but does cannabis actually lend any of its flavors to this? Because I know that yeah. there's so many different types of cannabis, and if there was a terroir or a strain in that selection process, I'd be curious to hear yeah. about that. So the way we distill the cannabis, we try to take away a lot of the taste and make it very uniform. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we're not stripping all the flavor. Um, and when you say distill, is this like a so hydrosol it's, it's type like situation? Ethanol-based, uh, ethanol-based extraction. extraction. There's ethanol-based. There's CO2. There's a few different ways that you can extract it. Okay, um, but ethanol is just very consistent, so that's why right. we use that one right now. Um, in terms of the kind of way the flavor note of the cannabis comes through, from the start we thought of it as a complementary mm -hmm. kind of botanical. Um, you know, a lot of the edibles out there are either, you know, trying to mask it with super sweet or sour flavors. We wanted to kind of involve the cannabis as just another botanical in, in yeah. the bouquet of flavors. Right. Mm -hmm. So it comes through a little bit. Um, it's grassy. Yeah, yeah. You, you taste it a little bit, um, but it's yeah. not weedy. Mm -hmm. so. It's not skunky. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like drinking a Heineken. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to be 
to be perfectly transparent, like in our R&D process, that was actually a hard thing to solve because, you know, it there were batches where we were like, we got to try again, got to do it again, you know, and, 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 it, and that's part of the process of evolving these things. And, you know, thankfully, we're able to work with lots of great partners and experts who understand how to do these things because some of it is actually quite technical um, it is. and it's really impressive the science behind i mean you learn the stuff sort of in in uh you know in middle school science that oil and water don't want to bind and yet there are ways to do it and to make sure that it doesn't ever break and you know once we've been as we've been able to uh over the course of our sort of process from 2015 till now meet and get some of these partners and people on board to help us tell the story and bring this product to life to the best, you know, and highest integrity possible. A lot of these things have been, um, you know, we've been able to overcome them, but it's, but it, it is a hurdle and it is something that we constantly make sure is, um, you know, um, sort of hitting the marks that it needs to hit. Um, cause on one hand you have the sense of like, okay, we know what this flavor profile should taste like without it. Mm-hmm. And then once we add it in, we need to make sure that it still tastes exactly as we want it, even though we're adding a new variable in. So right. it's a, it's, it's an interesting, you know, it, there's a, there's a small, uh, I, it's, 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 it's like, it's a small window for success and we've just gotten really good at flying, you know, flying through it every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy, especially when industrial processes are at, at play. Um, the last uh, little follow-up I had regarding the formulation is, um, so Zach, you did mention that there was alcohol used to extract the THC. I'm get is the, is it just that there's so little that you need to add to this bottle that it doesn't even move the needle? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, the regulation says there needs to be under 0.05 but, uh, percent alcohol. Uh, yeah, content. or points, it's either 0.03 or 0.05. Like it's like a, or 0.5, whatever it is, it's like an absolutely it's negligible. It's a fraction of a percent. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, 0.5 percent with a room of I think it, alcohol. yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think that's what kombucha is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. It's the same. It's the yeah. same. Um, and you can be above that in this industry. It just then has to be uh, treated as a proper bitter. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it just creates an entirely different um, sort of product approach class. and product yep. class. So yep. um, during our R&D processes, we actually found ourselves coming up against that uh, um, um, sort of ethanol threshold on the wrong side of it a few times when we were going through our, because again, you know, we were we were really trying to focus on flavor and a, an experience that we, that we thought was the right, um, you know, drinking uh, sensation. Um, we weren't thinking about all of the math that also then goes behind it all. And we were, you know, kind of all looking at each other when we got the test back being like, who looked at that? It'd be, you know, everybody pointed at the other person it was like, I thought you were doing that. And we were like, well, no, nope, yeah. you didn't even know to really look at it. So, you know, then you look at that, you kind of lick your wounds and you go again. And, um, it actually was, you know, one, it's a, it's one of those romantic stories now, I guess, to go back to that point earlier, right. that you can look back on fondly and even think about some of the adjustments we made at that point. But the alcohol um, was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, and again, you know, I think as far as the way we wanted to create something where, um, we wanted to make sure that we weren't being so dogmatic in um, the experience of this. We wanted to make sure that it was still something that somebody could enjoy on the rocks, right? Like we can, people don't regularly call for a Campari on the rocks or an Aperol on the rocks. Right. So, you know, sometimes when we use that kind of comparison of aperitif, people are like, okay, well, what do you mix in with? We're like, yes, it does work really nice as the base of a mixed drink, no doubt, also, but you should be able to enjoy it on the rocks because we're still in a, 
transition moment where people are starting to explore the low alcohol and the yep. no alcohol movement. Exactly. And like, it, it, you know, it, it, it's still, uh, expanding so you know we had to be sensible that we couldn't create like the perfect expression of this idea for a future in three years from now or five years from now and right just like you know kick back and wait for that future to, yeah. to arrive and if we we are like very very strong believers in the idea of cannabis mixology and yeah. the idea that even before i guess cannabis mixology that like no abv low abv mixology and the idea that a beautiful made drink uh, doesn't have to have alcohol in it um and so off, off of that idea, we wanted our tech to really be able to be um, a good base for a cocktail in this whole new idea mm. of cannabis mixology. Mm. So it does mix really nicely, but it's, it's fun to just put it on the rocks, squeeze a little lemon. For sure. I, I love it this way. And it does, it seems to have about the same amount of sugar as like, you know, you're talking about like a Dubonnet or a mm -hmm. little, like a little A yeah. almost. So, yeah. So it has, you know, so as far as the sugar is concerned. It's actually a, a third of the sugar content of Aperol. Would, you know, I mean, obviously yeah. there's, there's a lot in there. So, but like, yes, it's, but, it's, it's, in our case, it's, it's less than five grams per Some, serving. Somewhere between so, a fortified wine yeah. and, and, and a liqueur. And again, that going back to the overall drink experience yeah and going back to that overall drinking experience and you know i think what's interesting or what's great about this industry as well is we if you know if you spin this around it's all there on the back label right mm -hmm. like this is an industry that requires all of that uh that requires all of that to be there so everything that's in our product is something that we stand behind and we're not like oh let's not talk about it oh let's hide it everything's there to create that 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 overall experience so you know we use an organic sugar um that uh, helps play off of some of the um you know some of those bitter notes and some of those more floral notes that are in the beverage um and to also give it some of that mouthfeel so that it doesn't just taste like um you know uh, botanical water i think you know because if you're right if, and then because then we maybe we'd be more of a spirit at that point and it just wasn't what we were going for so you'd be essentially just uh seedless yeah which which by the way you know tastes great with with yeah. our ted and yeah and it's and it's wonderful to be able to have beverages of different viscosity and different uh botanical profiles yep. um come together in really interesting ways the exact same way that you know any well-made mixed drink if you think about a negroni beverages of different viscosity coming together to make something beautiful in the glass and mm -hmm. you know we've it's been it's been pretty interesting to see some of the user generated content um you know yeah, that we, we had a mixologist that we really yeah, like jason you uh, really cool mixologist in California. We LA. the first, I guess, Artet Negroni using um, Artet Seedlip uh, Spice, I think. I it think was. so. And then, um, uh, then Lyris? Lear, it was Lyers, like a. It was like a. Alcoholic Vermouth Company. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was one of those things where when we saw, it, we were just like, we're staring at the future, you know? And it yep. was just so cool to see that drink come to life and look and be presented so beautifully. And still not have any alcohol yeah. in it, but still create a craft moment for somebody to be able to enjoy a really well-made drink um, and just potentially have a slightly different, um, you know, uh, effect or impact yeah. from it. I listened to your um, episode on your brand on mocktails oh. and I loved it, by the way. But, you know, a lot of this <laughs> conversation um, reminds me of that in, yeah. in that, you know, Artet is, I wouldn't call it a mocktail, no. but because it delivers it delivers an effect um, sure. but you know it, it just it's an interesting way to think about it. is a cannabis cocktail a mocktail or you know what how does cannabis fit into this world of no abv mocktails from the shirley temple to you know right yeah. right and it, it, 
it, you're, you're, you're right too, Xander. We are, I mean, great points. And we are in the future in that respect, right? Like, like everything that you're saying right now, Zach is like, we're kind of in this moment of redefinition. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> in another interview that I did, actually, we were talking about DC cocktails before we got on the air. We're talking about Derek Brown, the Columbia room, uh, in a conversation I had with him about a, a book he recently published, he talked a lot about the history of the cocktail to this point. And I wanted to ask him about what he thought about the future. And so mm-hmm. we started talking about um, 10 Forward, uh, the bar on the Star Trek Enterprise, where Whoopi Goldberg was the bartender back in the early 90s. Hilarious. And um, they served a thing called Synthahol. And so we started talking about synthahol and synthetic alcohol is actually already out there. Yeah. And so, and, and a lot of these drinks that they were serving there were, you know, it's funny, the drinks that they served on 10 forward, like the ones that were illicit were like the ones that were like super strong and like uh-huh. dangerous. It was like, kind of like they were bringing moonshine yeah. in and they were like technically banned. Um, but the stuff that most people were drinking in this futuristic version of a society mm-hmm. that was somewhat more advanced than our society now they were drinking clearly more sessionable stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a saloon scene yeah. it was a very classy laid back it felt like an aperitif scene yeah so i think we are in the future um can can we talk finally about uh distribution where people who are listening can buy sure. this before we jump into the, into the lightning round because yeah. i think they might be assuming that they can rock out to the liquor store <laughs> yeah. um which is uh, what not, i would assume because it's yeah. in a bottle not yet one day um but it's only through legal kind of uh you know california uh, retail channels little, yes let's um yeah, let's, let's, let's with a little tonic. do a little tonic you. topper if we're going to talk about that versatility the yeah, so you can get our tent on if you're in the LA area through um, Toker, T-O-K-R dot com. It's a delivery service. Um, it's a great delivery service. You like the tonic? Yeah, I like, well, especially the Q. I was yeah. actually just listening to um, uh, the founder of Q Tonic today on the plane with um, on the Speakeasy podcast with Southern Teague talking about their yeah. products. Um, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and it 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 what's what's fun about Artet and tonic and you know people regularly ask us well what's your favorite serve and my answer a little bit is like you know mm. obviously you should find your own favorite serve but mine as far as explore it, it 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 you know there's lots of ways to enjoy it um for me the reason why i think that Tet and tonic plays so well together is that there's so many similar botanicals in gin as there are in Artet, and even some of the more new age gins like the ones you would find in like an amass gin with cardamom and some more of these like spicier notes that when paired with tonic um, creates a really fun and like actually back to your point, sessionable and enjoyable beverage yep. that, you know, um, when you start to think about, um, how many of these beverages you can maybe choose to have or want to have one, two, three, whatever your sort of tolerance is maybe and beyond, if you really are somebody who has a deeper tolerance, um, the manner in which you get there is the same kind of cadence in which you would get there, you know, sitting back and watching the Super Bowl and drinking beer and, um, you know, which I know I was doing last night and, you know, you can have a number of them over the course of a game and not really worry about the fact that it's a Sunday before a Monday and, you know, giving you that same ability to regulate and, and, and sort of meter your experience. If you want to pour a double, you know, an Artet and Tonic, excuse me, tastes just as good with a double pour as it does with a single. It's just about giving you that full, we have, we have, Zach and I have definitely, we we have, we have different, uh, um, 
tolerances, tolerances for sure. But that's part of why I mean, that's, yeah, the that's the beauty of it. Yeah, we say it's like all tolerance friendly yeah. because right. I could pour a double and be like in a nice place. My girlfriend will have one shot and she'll be on the moon for a couple hours and be very happy with that. And I'll probably be on my third glass and chilling. Sure. But it's good because we can both enjoy the same product and it doesn't feel uh, like, you know, this is my thing and this is this is your thing. Right. Uh, dose wise. Yeah, it seems very customizable. And I think that the cool thing is that you built it. You What you've built is a template in the same way that people who made Campari built mm-hmm. a template that now people have gone through the Negroni mm-hmm. and now it's in Jungle Birds and, mm-hmm. you know, starting in the 70s. And now it's in everything under the sun uh, in the craft cocktail space. I don't I, I see the same sort of opportunity here. I mean, we're just simply enjoying it with tonic because you can. Yeah, exactly. All right. It's kind of like it's a because you can type of situation mm-hmm. right here. Um, but there's, there, there doesn't seem to be a ceiling on that. Like we're not, we're not saying sip it on the rocks or sip it with tonic because there's a ceiling that we're telling Mm -hmm. you to ignore. Yeah. We're we're saying it's because, well, it's, it it doesn't need more. It can, it can certainly handle more. It's a very flexible product too. I I think that I've been trying to uh, find a, uh, precise way to communicate that i think i think flexible i think versatile are all good words for this um and i i I think um in certain respects you know hearing about how you guys have gone um through the process how you've been very careful to stick to regulations you've certainly taken some of the teeths or the teeth some of the teeth out of uh like what most people would call the bleeding edge Mm -hmm. right the bleed like you are you guys are on the bleeding edge because these laws aren't even written yet, mm-hmm. but you're, you've done enough to take the teeth out of it where even I feel confident and comfortable enjoying one. And my tolerance is very, very sure. kind of so-so. It's yeah. like, you know, depends on a lot of factors, um, but I feel completely um, comfortable with it from a, obviously like a tolerance standpoint, but also the flavor that uh, doesn't hurt one <laughs> Thank bit. You. So, and yeah, and, it, and I love the way you said that as well, as far as, you know, um, going back to your point about um, because you can, not because it's the only way. I mean, you know, this cocktail card, we made a number of these for, for, for retail. There's like four of them. They were very straightforward, right? Right. It was, you know, the tet and tonic uh, and like spritz. for, you know, an tet spritz because, you know, you can't, you can't be a company today and not have your play on a spritz. But the idea was really just to start to socialize and show people how to integrate it into behaviors that they were probably already doing at home on their own. Um, so that they would start to build some familiarity and some touch points mm-hmm. um, to then start to be able to experiment and explore, right? Like, yep. you know, you start, you drink gin and tonics enough times, then you say, oh, I want to muddle some stuff into my gin and tonic. Well, it's like you only do that because you've all of a sudden built up a, fami- a familiarity with it. Yep. So in the same way, if we can get people familiar with our tet and tonic, I mean, somebody posted a really awesome um it's an account called the herb psalm um her mm-hmm. name's jamie evans she posted a beverage last week with, yeah, with colorado uh, uh up in san francisco oh jamie, um, for jamie. and gotcha. um she did a play on a our tet and tonic for like valentine's day with a pink grapefruit i think it was like a, a fent i think it was like a fentamins tonic and had like beautiful um uh I can't remember exactly roses. what the garnish. It was roses. It was like this beautiful pink beverage, roses. Uh, pink yeah. roses. There you go. See, I can't remember. But the point of it was that, um, again, like that is clearly an example of starting to add your own riff. personal touch and a riff on it. Same way there are millions of riffs on a Negroni. There's the base and then there's different ways. I think that's if we'll feel like we've done a good job with creating this product and getting into the world if we start to see that happen more and more. For sure. Yeah. So we're buying this at dispensaries oh, yeah, in california for now yes 
I forgot to tell you in LA, I said it's Toker, T-O-K-R, but in SF, we're available on ona.life, O-N-A dot life. There's our delivery services, and then there's a smattering of actual really wonderful and incredible Brick and accounts in, um, you know, in all these different parts of California that you can find on our website and on our Instagram. And Great. we do a, you know, a, a pretty rigorous job of making sure we keep that stockist list uh, as up to date as possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, and... Um, Speaking in general terms, mm-hmm. very general, as general as you want, uh, up to and including, no. Um, what, what what are your what are your next plans yeah. uh, for for scaling up distribution and uh, maybe reaching some folks on the uh, the right the right mm-hmm. hand coast yeah. of this uh, fair nation? Mm-hmm. Our first plan is definitely to you know get uh, scaled throughout California. Yeah. Um, you know, become more of a household name. Put our Ted on every bar cart in California. Bar cart. Yeah, that's what we say. Um, it's really just kind of helping to move this culture of cannabis mixology forward. Um, and then from there, we really want to look at states with uh, rich food and beverage cultures. Yeah, yep. where there's also uh, recreational uh, cannabis. So mm-hmm. I think that's our kind of, you know, our strategic roadmap for new states. And then, you know, we'll certainly be... Um, continuing to broaden our story of cannabis mixology with some new formats and different, um, you know, skews that support this overall story. But we feel very strongly, you know, if not to, not to compare ourselves in any way other than saying they're who we look to emulate. But when you look at the Camparis and the Fernets and, 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 you know, sort of a lot of these legacy, legacy brands, they built a story around one product and one really well-made product. And we felt like if we could even, you know, achieve 10% of the success that they've been able to create in creating a beverage that people truly want to enjoy on a regular basis and, and, and experiment with, then that alone is such a, a humbling and exciting prospect that, you know, let's not get crazy trying to make uh, blueberry artet and cherry artet and all the other iterations of flavors and things. It just wasn't in our strategy. So Fair. for us, we really wanted to come out the gate, be able to put cannabis on your bar cart, um, we felt like this was the um, most appropriate and um, exciting way to do it. And then as we continue to learn and grow, we'll figure out new and other exciting ways to continue to um, tell that um, mixology story. For and, sure. And to give, you know, at-home cannabis mixologist tools to play with. Right, because they ain't got none. They got none. Nope. Yeah. Um, so... To completely go against what you were just saying, Xander, Let's do it. this is this is what this is what I uh, I was thinking of as we were doing a reset here. One of my favorite things about uh, uh, the aperitif kind of amaro mm-hmm. continuum uh, was something that my friend Jonathan Fasano, mm-hmm. shout out to Jonathan, um, he works for a company in DC called Don Ciccio e Fili. Um, it's an awesome guy named Francesco whose family is from the Amalfi Coast mm-hmm. of Italy. So he brought all of his grandfather's. Um, Amaro and uh, cordial recipes over Amazing. from the Amalfi Coast, and he's making incredible aperitivi mm-hmm. uh, liqueurs and, and Amari in DC. And the um, kind of mnemonic that Jonathan gave me that I've been using ever since, and it's it's like spot on, is that you can kind of walk up to an Amaro or an aperitif or something that's clearly in that space and kind of understand where it fits in the temporal progression of the evening sure. by the color of it. So the, the, the Aperol 
is very, mm-hmm. very light called Aperol yeah. and Campari. Well, it kind of looks like the sunset. So, yeah. so you're going to have that as your aperitif when the sun mm-hmm. is setting, then you're going to go and you're going to have your evening meal. You're going to have your, you know, your, your red and your mm-hmm. kind of darker purple wines. And then as your nightcap, you're going to have that stiff shot of yeah. pitch black fernet, like black velvet kind of, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The digestive, the fernet. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I kind of like that. Um, and it seems like you're, you're thinking about, the aperitif and, and the, where it fits into the daily ritual kind of is operating on those same lines. So, yeah. And I, and I, and I think just to clarify, cause I mean, Zach and you know, our third partner, Max, we've talked about this at length, the, the ability, like what does an Artet or complementary product to Artet that is more of a digestive look like. Oh yeah. And, you, you know, know that one on. and that, and that's where we can get even, you know, you, you, you get excited, not just in the flavor profile, which, you know, we I love Amaro, um, mm-hmm. and I love those piney and sort of like caramelly and very like you know uh, mentholated flavors. But also the intended psychoactive effect. Exactly, that we can deliver with the cannabinoid mm-hmm. spectrum. Right, where you maybe bring terpenes. in CBD, terpenes. yeah, terpenes. You up the CBD, maybe you up, other CBN, like, things that then all of a sudden come back. The to like, people don't even know about yet. Yeah. Yep. So so that's definitely something that we're we're you know very much um excited about um and if we um get the opportunity to do so we would be thrilled and excited too but nice. um for now you know we want to continue to walk before we run given the fact that we are still very much um trying to you know build a plane while flying yeah um and well, another way to say it would be like you paddle too hard the wave's just going to crash down and kill you uh-huh yeah so um yeah no it makes complete sense um guys this has been a real treat. Uh, do you have time for a couple quick lightning round questions? Yeah, absolutely. Let's hit it while we while we uh, finish while we these. While the Artet starts yeah. to hit a little bit. Oh, man. <laughs> Give them a nice little... So we, we use an encapsulation, so you feel uh, the, the initial buzz in like 15 minutes. So it's yeah. more yeah. of like a wine response. Yeah. It, it really is. And it's like, I, I I think it's starting to hit me a little bit, but it's, exactly. it's so totally... I'm... So for reference, I'm like 6'1". 175 and it's so i'm like big but not like huge and and so like right now i'm like i feel just slightly different than normal yeah is how i would put it and yeah. not in a good way or a bad way yeah. but just in kind something of like altered. something slightly altered but mm-hmm. not not even really in a qualitative way yeah. it's just like all right cool totally. like this is somehow more special yeah i like that that's a that's a, that's a great way to, yeah. to, to capture it. And if you want to have another one, then you really, you know what I mean? It starts to... And that's where, you know, people make those decisions. But again, it goes back to that point where if you had... And I guess there are some, or, you know, imperial stats and things that are higher ABV. But, you know, if you had one beer and it was the strength of, you know, uh, you know, it was, it was the proof of vodka or, or whiskey and you were drinking a pint, like you would be on the floor. Right. And historically... That's where a lot of edibles and drinks have been. So again, you know, we 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 went so far in the other direction. Even mm-hmm. back to that point of saying that one serving the the threshold in California that they said is an acceptable serving size is ten milligrams. We cut that by a quarter to two and a half milligrams is what we think a sensible user experience is. Right. Right. But anyway, yeah. Lightning questions. Beautiful. Uh, favorite cocktail. Um. Recently, I'm into mezcal Negronis. Ooh. What's your mezcal? Um, I'm actually still a mezcal noob. I don't know much about mezcal, but I'm just like, I ordered one recently. I'm trying to get into them. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's well, and that's one of the things I love about California, especially like Southern California, is you guys got it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and so when I come out here, it's just so much more available and and at much better prices than mm-hmm. than in DC. But yeah. Uh, yeah, mezcal Negroni, great cocktail. Probably not so far off. Definitely of late, it's obviously you know last year and a half or whatever it's been either Negroni or Boulevardier. But recently over the um, over the holidays, I was reading. Um, I read Punch regularly, and they had put out a recipe that was um, basically like a banana Boulevardier using a Brazilian liqueur, Giffard's, G-I-F-F-A-R-D-S. I don't know if it's a hard G or a soft G, but um, it's just like amazingly like, and I love banana, so I was like, say no more. I need to buy this, I need to track it down, and we're going to make these for the the holidays. And I did it with uh, my fiance, and it was unbelievable. It was like you basically cut the, the vermouth in half and then replace that. Uh, vermouth that you take out with this banana liqueur and it like you know with you know boulevardier it just it played so nicely and it was like so like sweet and warm and kind of christmasy but mm. um yeah and to use bourbon yeah yeah it's kind of like goes back to like there's a lot of uh tiki and mm-hmm. nouveau mm-hmm. um like nouveau american drinks where it's like an elvis reference yeah. like the peanut butter and banana exactly. but also bourbon elena grew, and elena's from chicago and as i mentioned we went to northwestern so there was also a bit of like when i was still in chicago there was a bit of that like uh i don't know if it was a revival or a renaissance or whatever you want to call it, but there were so many of like tiki bars popping up in chicago at that yes. time like three dots and a dash yeah, and stuff. And so dash. it was super fun at that time when i was still there to kind of you know and I guess like Lost Lake and all these places to, to really um, kind of understand and like get into the, the tiki kind of vibe. But um, I definitely spent the last couple of years in a very stiff drink uh, world. So to bring that banana back in, I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can like oh, it's so much check fun. back in with it. Oh yeah, um, so much fun. Yeah. I have not played around with banana stuff nearly as much as I'd like to. I think that's that's on the docket this year as well as for me, once it warms up again, I think, um, I'm going to try and perfect the Bloody Mary because it's a drink that I have not really gotten into mm-hmm. too much. Like, it's not my thing. I'm not like a vodka guy. Yeah. I'm not yeah. like a tomato juice guy. I can tolerate both of them, but I think that would be a cool challenge to, like, make my perfect yeah. Bloody Mary. Like, Alton Brown style. Like, uh-huh. here's mine. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And just, like, do a bunch of wacky stuff. Um, that's awesome, guys. Maybe, like, um, green tomatoes. We actually just made a mocktail with, uh, I, I work very closely with a, a shrub company called Element Shrub out, mm-hmm. in, out in the D.C. area. And we made a cocktail called the Verde Maria with tomatillos really? oh, that's wow. probably, probably for dry amazing. January. Probably incredible. Mm. That sounds incredible. If you want to use those in like a Bloody Mary application, all you got to do is stick them in a re- like a regular blender and just throw a little water in. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into like a thick tomato juice oh, type thing. You just add a little bit of water too thick, add more, you know. Good to know. Um, right. Yeah. So you can totally do it. Um Cocktail ingredient. If you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? Uh, I would likely be um, a citrus garnish only because um, my fiance has pointed out that I have a tendency of always eating them. And my, I, I don't, I like, I love like bitter and kind yeah. of like the, like the pith and that sort of flavor that comes from it. So regularly she'll like catch me eating them and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I find it to be like a really nice compliment uh, to the drink. So I think probably, you know, my biomass is probably a significant percentage of, uh, of, of, of citrus garnish. So I think, you know, that's what I would, I'd probably be that. Nice. Um, I mean, is, is saying THC a cop out? <laughs> no, it's on brand, man. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely be normalizing it. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm still, I'm still blown away by the, by the, the little 
Easter egg with that. That <laughs> the, the, I've, just been, the, the I've been staring at it this whole yeah. time. We've been talking. I'm like, how did I not see it? <laughs> we it used to, I mean, not to not to like you know because we try not to like play into it too much about like stoner culture and stuff. But there is also like a fun element of just like that, like oh. Like you see it and you're like how mind do, blown. Yeah, exactly. It's like playing the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, exactly. With, uh, exactly. It's our it's dark our dark side of the moon. It's our <laughs> classy way of, of of doing that, I guess. Nice. Uh, here's the Widowmaker cocktail with anyone, past or present. Who would it be? Where mm. would you go? What would you drink? Like, what's your what's your scene? Can we with get anyone? Can we get like sentimental? Yeah, and yeah. So before you get sentimental i'm gonna be oh, like do not it. sentimental do at all yeah just like i'd love to drink a rum punch on richard branson's island with the guy Ooh. and you know chat with him about whatever he's learned about life you've got a bit of a richard branson kind of like look to you uh, got like like the, like the way your hair is right now you've got a bit of a richard branson vibe i like it i like it that's like that's a good one a tea uh no a tea, uh rum punch yeah rum punch nice on the island very you know tropical i like that oh i could use that right now yeah all right, all right. so now mine's gonna be like it's like mopey i don't know why this is where i went but um and maybe i'll invite you um so so yeah uh I, our um great i'd probably say our great grandfather um never had the fortune of really getting to know him but always heard um a lot of stories growing up about how many things so you know my name alexander his name is saul alexander and i would always hear all these stories about things that i liked or did uh, that reminded me of him like my bagel order is like you know sort of it sort of personifies him in that regard right everything bagel white fish cucumber capers the first time my fiance saw that she was like who is this 80 year old man that just like replaced my boyfriend? I mean, it sounds pretty uh, it's amazing. <laughs> but so I've always been told there are all these like similarities between us as, as, as people. And I would have loved to get to know him more and have a conversation. I also know that every night he would have um, a scotch and soda. Um, so I would probably push it a little bit and like maybe introduce him like more of a Japanese highball. Hmm. Um, but we'd yeah. probably like sit in like leather couches, leather chairs and just like have a highball and chat. And oh, yeah, you should definitely come to that. Balls. Yeah, yeah. You're, you you should come as well. So, <laughs> yeah, highball highball is my that's my like before bed mm-hmm. thing is like I'll have a highball. Yeah, um, so good. I, in, I, when I studied in Hong Kong, they actually canned the highball like you can get a Centauri you know, highballs. Oh, they call them like shoe highs or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I was like, why is this not in, in America? This is so weird. It's coming. Something with yeah. Or, it's coming down the road. We actually have the first, I, 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 um, there's a guy in Maryland who's got the first like American shochu company. He actually brought, <clears throat> he brought the black Koji over from Japan and he had to get an exper- uh, experimental distiller's license mm. to do it. Wow. Um, but it's like legit, like same same method. So we've got American shochu now. It's all coming. It's the future, baby. There's a there's a, there's a bar um, back in uh, Brooklyn when I'm home that sometimes I check in to or check in with, and they have an amazing like uh, highball happy hour, and mm. they always I love that their garnish is like you know a green apple, and it's just Ooh. such a good little like kind of especially, like, especially for you, right? Yeah, exactly. that thing's not going to survive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that thing's gone in like two seconds. But awesome. Um, What's a common or you could you could go like common or traditional um, cocktail ingredient that you've never had before? I'll give you an example. Mine is amaretto. Mm. I never had amaretto. Um, I wouldn't turn it down. It just hasn't come up yet. So almondy. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I'd have. I cocktail. I have never had a olive in a martini. 
Ooh. Yeah. I just olives. Uh, I have an aversion to olives. So. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Like, so you're a twist guy. Yeah. Twist guy. Same. Same, actually. Yeah. I, this is probably like a crazy one. I don't know. I was going to say, I haven't, I haven't had a, because I, I don't want to classify it necessarily as a cocktail, but um, I haven't had a white claw. That's, <laughs> that is pretty, uh, yeah, that's hard to do these days. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. like ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, again, it's just one of those, like, I probably, if I was thirsty and I needed it, I would not turn it down, but I yeah. just haven't found myself reaching for it. Yeah. Uh, I can say they're fine. Sure. Yeah. They're fine. Like it's a very shruggable experience. Yeah. You're like, all right. I mean, I find that most of the time, like when I drink sparkling water, I'm like, yeah. all right, all right, good. Fine. Cool. So I would imagine it wouldn't be too far off. It's about, it's about in, yeah. in that neighborhood. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fair enough. It's, yeah. Um, final, before we get your digital contact info out there, um, what's an unusual or controversial view or belief that you hold? And we can extend this to the cannabis space if you mm-hmm. want, but in, in the, in the space that you're in, which is cannabis cocktails and aperitifs, what's a, an, an unusual or maybe un, like a controversial belief that you hold? Uh, for me, it's probably what I touched on earlier, the belief that, you know, uh, cannabis cocktails are, are not mocktails. They're their, mm. own, their own thing. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in. You're in. Uh, from a strict definition standpoint, I agree with you. Yeah, definitions. Right. Um, and obviously, you heard, my, you heard my rant. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm okay with either. Um, but uh, I, I think that uh, from a psychoactivity, you know, you, you, could, you could have the debate when mm-hmm. you draw the line between CBD and yeah. THC, I think. Yeah, and I think that's where people are going to have the debate. Yeah. Um, and from a regulatory stance, I guess that's the place to have it. But from a practical stance, I mean, I think, like, if you're going to have that controversial view, you might as well contribute something to the conversation. And it's sitting here looking at us. So. Appreciate it. You, you win. <laughs> I hate um, crushed ice, which probably is going to sound like, you know, counterintuitive to what I said before about like tiki drinks and everything. Like, pe- like the pebble ice? Uh, yeah. Like just, the, the Sonic, uh, the stuff you get in Sonic drinks. Kind of. Yeah. But, but yeah, yes. But yeah, like the but, ice. Yes, the I, pebble I think ice. that stuff's good. It gets it so cold. Uh, so I, there's something about when I get, and I understand that there's like a reason for ice that you use for certain drinks and when mm-hmm. you don't use ice and how you shake and when you stir like, so I get that I'm probably, um, you know, it might be like a, a an uncouth point, but I'm like, I just don't want, I will enjoy a drink less if I find out or know or discover upon it arriving that it is uh, in like a tin cup with, you know, crushed ice. Even if it's like a really flavorful drink, I think, there's something I don't know I think there's something sometimes like it always comes with a straw and then drinking out of the straw like I just love drinking out of sort of rocks glasses and coops so I think it's more that it's that's what it associates with but I yeah it's crushed ice there's also a slight air of mystery but not the good kind about it because the ice is all you see and once you get past that first sip you're like how much is left yeah because you don't have to pick it up to sip from it so inevitably you're just going to go Mm-hmm. lean forward yeah, and take slurp. it you're gonna kind of do the, the duck thing yeah. slurp it totally and then suddenly you hit the bottom and there's no way because you can't see it there's no way not to feel like you just got ripped off mm-hmm. i think so there's like some little psychological yeah. things to that where i think in the tiki world with these like big giant tiki uh-huh. mugs exactly. like i think that kind of saves it sometimes and the amount of juice that's in there can sometimes save that but i actually agree with yeah. you i mean maybe i don't feel as strongly about <laughs> it if, if you're at a proper tiki bar like 
you got to know what you're getting yourself into. Right. You, and, and in that case, exactly how you sort of just defined it, you know, um, that's, that's kind of par for the course, but I think it's, I, it, every, honestly, how you, 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 def, you define my frustration with it so perfectly that it is, as you said, sort of like this mystery and this kind of sense of, you know, uh, it's like the, 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 the bag of chips that has, has like, you know, 60% air in the bag. You don't trust it. Yeah. There's something I, it just, what you guys, do, you, do you want me to ruin that for you? Please. It's uh I don't know I don't I don't remember what gas it is, but it's it's to keep the chips from turning brown in the same way that like if you slice an apple it's gonna mm-hmm. turn brown yeah, unless you put salt on it. Um but yeah, it's it's I I believe in most cases it's some sort of like um, inert gas mm. like it's like one of the it's not helium it's obviously they float away but um but it's it's like one Something. of the very like a very normal gas <laughs> um that I, I it i that's what i've heard so um but yeah no that's why we asked that question actually uh we're we're starting to those last two are sort of new for the lightning round um and the reason is so that we can have like a little therapy session and be like it's actually <laughs> not no you're exactly it makes sense it's okay that you think this this is great um guys this has been an absolute blast can you just give our listeners a way to find you in the digital space? Uh, sounds like you do a lot on social media. And I know that, um, you know, we're, we're following you guys and we're excited to see, you know, you're talking about that user generated content, mm-hmm. all those ideas that are coming your way. I think I'm excited for the folks listening to our podcast to subscribe so that they can like be the recipients of some of those ideas. Cause I think that's really how the, the movement mm-hmm. kind of grows. And, and I, I like that you guys are a mouthpiece. So tell us where we can find you sure. online and you've already covered the stores, but just digitally. Yeah. So you can follow us at drink our Ted on Instagram. Um, we also run that page, so feel free to shoot us a DM and we'll get back to you. Um, you can subscribe to our newsletter also, which is on our website. Um, anything which else? Which is uh, com. And then if you want to send us a recipe, send us a question, uh, a photo of you enjoying it, whatever it might be, uh, you can also reach us at uh, cheers at com. Beautiful. All right, Zach and Xander, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. 
This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, a category-defining cannabis aperitif, courtesy of Zach Spoler and Xander Shepard of Artet, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.